0: The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by LCHF Endurance. Stabilise your blood sugar, burn fat, decrease inflammation and become fat adapted in just 12 weeks. I'm so excited to share with you that LCHF Endurance is currently 50% off for a limited time only. Simply use the code LCHFE50 to sample the program check out the kind of meals you'll get to eat and cancel within seven days if it's not your sugar-free jam. Head to lchfendurance.com.au and use the code LCHFE50 for 50% off your upfront program payment today. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're Shaking Things Up on the Podcast, and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Wirth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Allie McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimising your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning in to today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? Real? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments? Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Reel. In episode 249 of The Real Food Reel, Ellie McLean, nutritionist here at The Natural Nutritionist, addresses the question, can you be both LCHF and plant-based? We explore Ellie's personal story with veganism and the mistakes she originally made, which fuels her passion to help prevent others doing the same. You will learn how being vegan does not always equate to health, how it is possible to obtain enough protein, all about B12, how to make a plant-based approach not only healthy, but sustainable, and so much more hello so we have quite the role reversal here today i really wanted to share with you guys more about how to optimize your health with a plant-based diet and ellie who you've heard from many times before is an absolute expert in this area so we will dive in shortly but firstly i wanted to give ellie the space to share a little bit more about her story so you guys can get to know her a little bit more but also to understand why she is so passionate about what she is. So over to you, Ellie.
1: Hi. Um, yeah, it's funny having sat on the other side of the mic and interviewed you so many times to actually talk about myself um, and give give you guys a bit of an understanding of, of my background. So, you know, for me, nutrition has been a, a huge part of my life for a very long time. So, as a teenager, I remember watching AFL footy and the Man out on the beach and. Yes, I was thinking oh these are, these guys are cute, and they look incredibly fit, but I was also found my, like, I found myself thinking, what are they eating for breakfast and I wonder how differently they 'd be performing right now if they ate something different for breakfast and you know I remember even after the footy game had ended or after watching the race i 'd still be pondering it i 'd still be thinking, what should they have, and what would be the optimal the optimal intake to support athletes um, in their endeavor and as i 've got older. It's been more about, you know, how, how, could, how could we learn about or how can we take from what athletes do and turn that into what we can do to optimize ourselves as individuals. So my passion started really young in life and um, as a teenager, I went on to study exercise science and nutrition at university. And this is where I think things actually started to come undone, unstuck a little bit because I got very caught up in this, this notion or that the calorie fallacy as we often refer mm. to to it as, I got caught up in that um, and started to get stuck into a calorie-counting mode and a very calorie-restricted diet and it led to me having a lot of digestive issues. So I was a 21-year-old on Nexium for Mm. two years of my life uh, with gastritis, which is pretty ridiculous at the age of Mm. 21. Um, I had issues with candida overgrowth, so I was on antibiotics for a very long period of my early 20s as well. And so that calorie-counting led to me becoming actually quite unhealthy in my 20s. I started to become a bit more aware of that, so was obviously looking outside of the constructs of what I was learning at university to to try and turn my diet around to support my health, and it wasn't until my late 20s where I really reached rock bottom, I think it was, with overtraining, a stress, really stressful period in my life, My hair was falling out. My period had gone AWOL and it probably wasn't until my late 20s where I really started to to take on more of a jerf approach through the work that I'd done with you at the time and through my own reading that I had been doing. um, That really turned things around for me and my health. Now, Coming back to plant-based living and a plant-based diet, I guess that was something that was happening concurrently throughout my 20s. I worked in the US in my mid-20s and leading into that, I was interested in plant-based living from a sustainability standpoint. So my partner and I at the time uh, were really concerned about the sustainability of food production and meat production and had started to reduce our intake of meat. But in the US, I started doing a lot of reading about meat production and the amount of, or actually, let's go back a step, about factory farming yeah. in general and learning about factory farming and just one of, the, one of the things that sticks in my mind is that the average age of a KFC chicken before it is slaughtered is 18 days. Mm. Now, if you think about that, what is happening in that 18 days to make that chicken? big enough and meaty enough for it to be ready for slaughter and ready for use you yeah, know, it's in, your, in your yeah. zinger burger or whatever <laughs> it might be. So I made that choice then um, at 26 to, to be vegan, but I wasn't healthy enough. Mm. So things came unstuck for me probably over the space of the next three years. That's why I'm so passionate about working with vegans and vegetarians because, you know, for me it was food sustainability and health. That's the reason I went plant-based. But if you yourself aren't healthy, then a plant-based diet isn't sustainable. And so if you're taking on a plant-based diet for the sake of the environment and for the sake of food sustainability, then ultimately you have to make sure that it's sustainable for you.
0: Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think it's a really good perspective because, I, you know, I love that people are making these decisions from a sustainability point of view and I think eating ethically is something that we all need to do um, but not at the expense of our own health, which is unfortunately what you learn the hard way and what you're stopping others from doing.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, um, one of my mentors used to say, fail fast, move on quicker. (laughs) And I feel like throughout my 20s, I failed fast and I moved on really slowly. So mm. I want to be able to help my clients move on really quickly from the mistakes that they make so that they can, they can continue a plant-based diet, but do it really healthily and really sustainably. Yeah, I
0: love it. So let's dive into some of those myths that we see in the vegan space or in the plant-based space. What do you hear all the time that you would consider a myth?
1: Well, first and foremostly, the, like one of those is that being vegan is healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've had clients come in to me who aren't vegan, by the way, but they've come in and they found, let's say, uh, a, a bar that says vegan on the front of it. And they've said, oh, I found this bar. It says vegan. That's great for me, right? Right. And, you know, you have to have that conversation right there and then like, no, that is just a marketing tool. So you know, some people put vegan hand in hand with being healthy because of the fact that it's plant-based in nature, so therefore there must be more plants in the diet, therefore it must be a healthy mm. diet. Um, I guess there's two ways that you could look at it, but the perspective that I'm coming from is to to label any diet as being just purely healthy is not necessarily the right way to go about it because any diet like the restrictive form of eating can be taken to the extreme. So um, a vegan who, let's say, takes on a plant-based protocol but, you know, purely strips out meat and animal products and replaces it for refined carbohydrates and processed foods is no more healthy than the individual who's eating the meat and the refined carbohydrates and processed foods.
0: Totally. And this is when I think of all these fake meats that we've got on the market that are just refined foods masquerading as healthy. Like we can't see that when we're a little bit obsessed by the V word or the fact that it's a plant-based product looks, yeah, like equates to healthy in our mind. So we get blinded by that marketing and we don't read the ingredients. Yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's really scary the, the amount of vegan products that are on the shelf mm. that are just so processed. You look at the back of them and there's 20 ingredients in there, many of which are purely numbers a lot of which is, you know, soy-based or um, sugar-based and it's, it's really horrible to think that that's what people are putting in their body but they assume it's, it's healthy for them because of that vegan label on the front of it. And it's similar to keto, right? Like you and I have both experienced working with people who are very extreme in the keto space and they love the keto diet because they can, you know, supposedly get away with eating eggs, bacon, and red meat for the rest of their life and for it to be quote unquote healthy and cheese <laughs> don't forget so, the cheese cheese as well yeah, and cream chicken <laughs> cream mm. yes, so you can t- you, you take these rigid labels to their extremes and they're not necessarily healthy, so that's a myth that I find um I guess sits on the vegan face is that um a vegan diet it's a healthy diet, mm. and it isn't necessarily. But it can be, which is the good news. <laughs> yes, yeah, which we are definitely going to talk about more in this conversation. One of the other myths that that I hear people talking about is that um, vegan is a like being vegan means you're not going to eat enough protein. Yeah. yeah, And this is not the case. I think you can come at it from two angles. One is that well, how much is enough protein? So you know, you've got people who who think that they should be eating their let's find quantified protein intake and look at it as of your total energy intake for the day or you can look at it as like a figure per gram of body, kilogram of body weight you might consume. So, you know, at the at the higher end would be like your, your 1.2, your 1.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. Um, but we tend to sit at that 0.8 to 1 gram of protein per kilogram of body weight or as a percentage that 20% of total energy intake. Day or for the day, and that's absolutely doable on a plant-based protocol. It's just it's really important to consider variety of proteins that you're consuming. So total and total protein intake is, is actually not the concern, and we met on a vegan and plant-based protocol. What does need to what you do need to be conscious of is variety because. Protein is made up of amino acids. They're the building blocks of our proteins. And there are nine amino acids, which are what we call essential amino acids, which means we can't produce them in the body. So we have to get them from our diet. Now, when you eat meat, you're getting all of those essential amino acids right there in your piece of steak or your piece of chicken. When you're eating a plant-based diet, there's not as many foods that are what we call those complete sources of protein, which means you've got to look to your various sources of protein to get all of those essential amino acids. Now, there are some foods that will allow you to get all of those essential amino acids, so things like tempeh, things like quinoa, um, but really we should be looking to all the different proteins when we're on a plant-based diet from the tempeh to the quinoa to the chickpeas and the and the or hemp seeds and the hemp protein powder. So to say that a plant-based diet is a low-protein diet is not necessarily correct. If you can have enough protein.
0: Yeah, I think that's important to cover, but it is also relative to our goals. Like that twenty percent is much lower than what we see some people prescribing. Like we know that underneath that LCHF banner, it's moderate protein. So Mm -hmm. we just don't include that in the acronym. So I'm with you. I think it's very achievable. But then when I see other people recommending someone consume 180 grams of protein a day and it therefore must include every day two serves of soy and two protein shakes, I just don't see that as a sustainable way to achieve your protein goals so it comes back to making sure you've got a reasonable goal so yeah. a reasonable percentage yeah. of your overall day but also understanding that our requirements are quite individual so I just wondered whether you change that for say maybe a male with a bodybuilding goal like would that Would you still be giving them 20% or would it be a little bit higher
1: no I would typically
0: still put them on the 20% of total energy intake. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. So then of course it is really achievable. The variety then comes back to a conversation we have all the time. I think all of us could probably put our hand up and say we need to get more diversity on our plate. And as a vegan it's, you know, your responsibility to understand all of those options for protein. Looking even at your green leafy veggies can be a great way just to make sure you're across where you're going to be getting those that key nutrient from. Yeah. macronutrient from
1: yeah yeah mm. definitely and we forget that you know foods are not one one macronutrient in isolation mm. yeah so there's not many foods that are just purely protein or purely fat or purely carbohydrate so you can look to your obvious sources of protein like tempeh or you know, soy or um Or hemp seeds or hemp powder, which I love using at the moment, but there's going to be overlaps. So there's going to be your chickpeas, which are protein and carbohydrate, Mm -hmm. or your nuts and seeds, which are protein and fats and a little bit of fiber and carbohydrate.
0: Yeah. So a few things come to mind here, and um, this is where I like to encourage my clients, and I know you do too, Ellie, to do a little bit of logging online because nobody even knows that a vegetable is a carbohydrate, let alone that spinach contains a small amount of protein. So when you start to understand the foods that you eat a little bit more and the crossover of the macronutrients, I think it's a really important part of the journey and not that you ever need to understand it to the level that your nutritionist does, but just having that conscious awareness of what your foods are made up of is, is great because then it will expand your diversity and allow you to see that it is possible to hit those goals. Yeah. And then I wanted to get your thoughts on soy just because you've mentioned it a couple of times there before we sort of forget. What are your recommendations around serves per week and why?
1: Yes, good question. So when it comes to soy, I usually, well, firstly, it's the quality Mm -hmm. of the soy that you're consuming, which is really important to be conscious of. So I put soy on a bit of a sliding scale and up towards the, the, the red end is things like soy protein powders, soy isolates that are used in food products and, and um, processed food products. And up the green end of the scale is things like tempeh, which is a, uh, for those of you who haven't had it before, it, it's a little bit like tofu, but it is less processed and it's fermented, which means it's naturally got enzymes in there that make it more easily digestible. It's higher in protein, it's higher in iron than um, tofu. And, um, I personally prefer the flavor of it over tofu. Do you? But I, I, I do, love it. Yeah, I don't yeah. eat it these days, but when I was a vego for
0: 10 years, I loved it. I just find whenever I suggest it to someone, they stare at me
1: like I've got two heads. Like they think it's disgusting. Well, we've got a recipe at the Natural Nutritionist yeah. on our website. It's our, our simple vegetable coconut curry that yeah. has got tempeh in there. And I think it's about helping people to understand how to use how it, to cook it correctly, not yeah. just plain out of the packet. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. So it's in a, in a form that they're going to enjoy. Mm. So, quality of soy is really important because you've got your very processed soy products versus your less processed soy products like your Mm tempeh for example and also making sure that it's genetically non-modified so soy beans are one of the most genetically modified plants on the planet and making sure you're getting an organic and non-genetically modified version of that is really important for your own health now then So in terms of what soy you're consuming, it pretty much leaves us with tempeh and tofu. They're the major soy products I recommend my clients consume. I really recommend that they deprioritise their soy proteins, their soy bars, their soy processed meats, their soy milk, their soy cheese, their soy yogurt, Mm. their soy cream. So really. Try and put that stuff in the bin. Then it's about frequency in which you consume the, the tofu and the tempeh. So I usually recommend about four to five serves per week. And it, this is where it becomes really dependent on the individual because there, if there is a history of um, hormone-related conditions in the family, so like hormone-related breast cancer, for example, um, or even hormone imbalances, then I do, then I do look at moderating that four to five so serves per week and possibly making it a little mm. bit less. Um, in my reading, I think the 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 research around the estrogen mimicking effects of soy is still a little bit inconclusive, mm. which is why for the average individual, I say four to five serves of tempeh is absolutely okay. And yeah, you've got to look at the up versus, like the positive versus the negatives. So and it's probably not that much mm. negative to that individual in or not much risk to that individual in having their four to five a week um, if they're otherwise having a very healthy diet and not consuming their really processed soy foods.
0: Yeah, and I've been guilty of saying, you know, that high soy would potentially be estrogen mimicking, but that's actually a really generic statement. So we've got to sort of break that myth down. There is so much for and against in, like in the rich, in the literature around soy, so yeah, you're right. It's not really conclusive, and then it depends on the individual and what their hormones are doing. Exactly. If they have high estrogen, or if they do not.
1: Yes, exactly. Mm. And then also considering just in a standard diet, what some of those what some of those foods are that may get in the way of hormone balance as well. So things like poorly processed dairy products, yeah. you know, that's going to get in the way of hormone balance, and that's something that somebody on a vegan um, vegan diet won't be eating. So I, my point is is that we can get really fixated on something like soy and forget that there are other things that may not be appearing in a plant-based mm. diet, which in a standard diet may also be impacting hormones. And a standard diet that has very little veggies to support the yeah. liver like
0: our cruciferous veggies and obviously when you're doing a very well-balanced vegan template of course you're having a lot of those veggies so yeah. then you've got the liver support for that whole hormone clearance yes so yeah yes. i agree awesome mm-hmm. okay cool um so you can get enough protein newsflash yeah, i was <laughs>
1: just trying to think of how we got down that soy discussion but yeah we were talking about protein newsflash something. yes interesting so that's that's great so then yeah. okay cool i think another big myth is that some of the nutrients that you can't get on a plant based diet. So, we know that there are some vitamins that you just can't access on a, uh, a plant based diet, and that one is B12. Mm-hmm. So, B12 can't be achieved on a purely plant based diet. But then there are other um, nutrients and minerals that I think people have been led to believe you won't be able to consume. So, that's things like calcium. And actually, we probably have this discussion quite regularly because we, we don't tend to use a lot of cow, um, dairy in our Real food template. I never think of dairy as calcium. Well, <laughs> well yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, you and I, probably don't, yeah. don't think that way. But to the average individual who's thinking about mm-hmm. a plant-based diet, like, oh my god, there's no dairy in there. So, yeah. w- where's that person going to get their calcium? They're from? going to get
0: osteoporosis. No, yes. of course not.
1: Yeah. Uh, But I always think about it, well, where do our cows get their calcium from? Mm -hmm. They get it from their greens and it's Mm -hmm. exactly the same on a plant-based diet or on a real food template. You'd be getting your calcium predominantly from your green leafy vegetables and then we have other great sources. So things like dried figs are actually a great source of calcium um, uh, but also Tahini, so sesame yep. seeds, one of my favourite sources of calcium as well. Yeah,
0: it's definitely not hard to achieve and I think it's about breaking down that myth that's been funded by the Dairy Farmers Association that we, you know, absolutely have to have our X number of serves of calcium or milk or dairy products per day. Yeah. It's, it's so achievable on a plant-based diet.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And then another one that gets talked about a lot is iron. So mm-hmm. are we going to get enough iron on a plant-based diet and this one it's it's an interesting one and you and I have had conversations about this before in that you know you know total in a total sense you you can get enough iron on a plant-based diet um, and so like, you're talking about milligrams per day here yes yep. so, so looking like a- at it, looking at an rdi you know an rdi of 12 to 18 milligrams of iron per day you can get that pure amount of iron on a plant-based diet but then again thinking about bioavailability of that iron and the source of iron. So when we're eating animal products, so our steak, our chicken, our eggs, we're consuming what's called heme iron, so far more bioavailable to the human body. When we're eating iron from plant-based products, so things like our spinach, things like our gold flakes and also our spirulina, that iron is non-heme iron, so it's not as readily absorbed, which means Well, two things. One, you have to eat a bit more of it, Mm -hmm. but you can eat enough, yeah? So you could literally have one salad and meet like the the crude RDI for iron, but of course you would want more than that to make up for the lack of bioavailability. The one thing is eating enough and the second thing is maximising the digestive capacity and absorption of the iron. So really that comes down to gut health. So making sure that you've got a digestive system that can really support you in making the most of the iron that you're consuming. And that goes for a number of other nutrients as well, by well, the way. Well, everything, doesn't it? It goes for everything and also yeah. B12
0: being synthesised yes. by our bacteria. So, you know, sitting very next to a plant-based diet is of course this gut health protocol that you need to be across, but so does
1: everybody. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Mm. but. In my conversations with people on a plant-based protocol, I just, well, I I sometimes just slide that discussion around gut health a bit closer to the the first consultation because it is super important. I often find that for people that have already been on a plant-based diet for a period of time gut health is something we almost have to address straight, address straight away mm. because they're suffering from hormonal imbalance. They've got skin breakouts, skin issues, um, digestive calents, so a lot of bloating, flatulence or nutrient deficiencies. Mm. So they've already got over like um, uh, anemia or B12 deficiency or zinc deficiency. So we've got to get onto the gut straight away to support all of those things. Yeah, for sure. Love yeah. it. That's so cool. Mm. all right so we've busted a few myths yeah we have so what is that that being vegan is inadvertently means you're healthy which is not the case being vegan you're not going to get not going to get enough protein which is also not the case And that being vegan means you're not going to meet your nutrient requirements for some key vitamins and minerals like iron um, and calcium, which is also not necessarily the case when you're doing it well. Yeah, which
0: is the whole point. Mm, So that's that's the awareness that we need to have. So then if we talk about gut health a little bit more.
1: Mm, Yeah, so I always, like, I just think about the gut firstly, purely and simply, like, what is it? It's one long tube that goes from our mouth down to our anus and of course along the way there's going to be lots of different things that happen along that journey our digestive system has got to be able to break down that food which is where things like our mouth and our teeth and our digestive enzymes and hydrochloric acid all do their job to break down food our digestive system has then got to be able to adequately absorb the nutrients and retain the nutrients so they can go into circulation for utilisation uh, and then we've got to support the um the the physical barrier of defense that our digestive system provides for for us and our body so for people on a plant-based diet like first and foremost if they're not eating their food correctly so they're not chewing their food well enough um, or taking the time to eat their food then they're potentially not supporting the breakdown of the food that they're consuming and also not supporting the release of digestive enzymes and hydrochloric acid to really break down proteins and really get into those amino acids and everything that's in those protein containing foods. So breakdown of food is really really important and I do spend time talking with my clients about how they're how they're eating, so are they taking the time to sit and chew their food and and breathe deeply before they tuck into their meal? And also, introducing some strategies like simply introducing some apple cider vinegar a little bit before eating a meal can also support the breakdown of protein and, um, and that meal to maximize nutrient access and absorption yeah, absolutely mm. and then we think about that that barrier of defense that I was just talking about, so the physical barrier of defense that our gut um, places between us and the outside world, and we know that um, when in, in any gut healing process anybody that there are some really key nutrients there so things like collagen and things like glutamine are really crucial for regaining um the integrity of our gut lining i don't know if i'm going a bit too far down the line here but we're here already so these are two things that are going to be hard to achieve on a plant or hard are going to be naturally hard to consume on a plant-based diet. so for a typical gut healing protocol we look at introducing something like foam broths to really support um glutamine intake and collagen intake now we can't just throw bone bone broth into a plant-based protocol so we've got to look at other options and and this is where sometimes we do have to wave the white flag and look at supplements as being a requirement and there are some beautiful gut healing supplements that we now have access to that contain um glutamine for example but interestingly, collagen um, collagen is is something that on a purely plant based diet we don't have access to, and I hadn't, hadn't really thought about it like this. But I was listening to someone speak the other day, and they reminded me that vegan humans or humans that are vegan <laughs> um, are really the only vegan animal on the planet that is eating a purely vegan diet because other vegan animals or plant-based animals like cows for example or sheep for example would be picking up insects on the grass Mm. and the plant matter that they consume and within those insects they'd be getting access to things like b12 and like collagen collagen. yeah yes so um, on a human plant-based diet we have to be considerate of those things which is why we have to supplement with b12 because we can't get it really in many other places Um, now with collagen we can support the production of collagen in our body um, by making sure we're getting enough in um, proline, an amino acid, and also enough vitamin C to support, um, support that collagen production. So whilst we, whilst we can't consume the collagen, we can support the production of collagen in our body through, through the intake of adequate amino acids or sometimes even supplements.
0: And would you consider a marine collagen?
1: Yep, absolutely. You can Mm. consider marine collagen Um, and then also there are amino acid supplements which will have like vitamin C within them and Mm. plenty of proline in there as well to support production within the body.
0: Yeah, so there's been a couple of supplements that you've been mentioning along the way. Um, So I guess just taking a moment to summarise that we don't want you going out and getting a list of supplements and just check choosing any brand and starting to overwhelm your pantry cupboard or the supplement graveyard.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, I think we have to come back to real food. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, Vegan and eating real food—they're not mutually exclusive things. They need to sit on top of one another. Mm-hmm. So, to to do plant-based well, to, to be a good vegan, you need to be prioritising real food. That is the foundation of a plant-based protocol. And then you layer on that. So the supplements aren't something that I dive in with straight away, unless unless there's no B12 being being yeah. had. Um, but the supplements are something that you 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 work or you introduce strategically based on the individual. Or for me, yeah, it's based on the individual that I'm working with that the supplements are introduced. So, you know, to be be a good vegan, you need to be prioritising real food. And then on top of that, you need to be monitoring your health and you need to be aware of your own health status. So I recommend having regular blood testing done. And if I start working with somebody you know, freshly who hasn't had bloods done recently, then I do recommend that they go away and have blood testing done. So within that, like let's call it baseline, within that baseline having a look at some really just basic indicators of nutrients, So looking at B12, looking at iron, looking at ferritin, zinc and understanding where they're at at baseline and then looking at, okay, do we need to supplement straight away or just do we we need to create create or carve out a bit more strategy from in the diet to help rebuild those numbers. Uh, and, and then we repeat test in the future. So I recommend usually repeat testing every six to 12 months for somebody on a plant-based diet. Actually, I would recommend that to most people, mm-hmm. but I think it's really important when you're on a plant-based diet, to be really conscious of your health, um, and where it sits.
0: Yeah, I think that's so true because, as we all know, like many people will switch to a plant-based diet purely by default of eating more vegetables, they could be feeling amazing because they've cut out some foods that, you know, might not have been serving them very well. But what the issue is is they have no baseline. They're not taking that 30,000-foot view of their health and they end up with a B12 deficiency in two to years. They've time. got a fix. Yeah. Exactly. So we're trying to avoid all of that. Set that foundation and repeat tests so you know what's working and how your body's
1: responding to a longer term plant based approach. Yeah, definitely. And I always come back to what are the goals? Sort of like what we talked about a little bit earlier in the conversation. But what are the goals? What are the drivers for taking on a plant based diet? You know, firstly, is it ethical? So you know, are you the individual who is concerned about the, the animals and how they're being treated and therefore not wanting to support that? Secondly, is it sustainability? So you are you concerned about food sustainability and food production and the impact that it has on the environment? Or thirdly, is it health that's driving your choice to be plant-based, whether it be your own health or the health of the animals that may be raised to support meat? Consumption. But come back to those drivers and I guarantee you, if any one of like if you are somebody who's doing plant-based but you're unhealthy, then your same morals and drivers for becoming plant-based in the first place aren't going to be matched and achieved if you're not taking care of yourself right? So if you're somebody who's got ethical concerns about the treatment of animals, then also consider yourself an animal and think about how you're treating yourself and how you're taking care of yourself. (laughs) It's actually a really good analogy. (laughs) Hmm. If you've got concerns about sustainability, well, if you yourself can't be vegan for the long term, then how are you going to support food sustainability for the long term? And if it comes to health, well, if you chose not to eat meat in the first place for health reasons, well, then don't, don't like do the Don't do the opposite of that and become unhealthy Mm. in the process of becoming vegan. That means you have to be so in tune with yourself and you have to care a lot about the health of yourself in order to maintain um, a vegan lifestyle and and diet.
0: What are you seeing in clinic when you have this conversation? Because part of me feels like some people might find it too hard to care this much. Or do you mostly feel like they're willing to do the work because they feel so strongly about being plant-based and being healthy? I would say
1: it's the latter. Good. I would say it's the mm-hmm. latter. Look, I'm not going to lie. I have had some people who have um, gone a, have, have taken on a vegan protocol because because of the wrong reasons yeah so because they thought it would just inadvertently make them healthier to be vegan so they're eating the the vegan pizza from domino's and they're eating the the vegan meat from the supermarket so they're the people who are not willing to make mm. the right choices and take the time to take care of themselves they weren't doing it for the right reasons in the first place but by and large when i start working with a new client who is truly taking on a plant-based approach approach to life and eating because of one of those key three reasons that I've already talked about. And if they are completely aligned with one of those three reasons, then they will be willing to work with me um, or you um, to, to, to truly tailor their diet to, to support their health and their
0: longevity. Yeah, I guess it's just that acceptance that there is going to be some work to commit to a certain number of serves of foods per week and the awareness around where your iron's coming from, looking at your gut health. Like so you have to be willing to to do that work, I think, for it to be a healthy outcome.
1: Yes, you do. You can't just approach your week blindly and assume Mm. that healthy vegan food is going to fall in your lap. Mm. Just like, you know, for anybody wanting to eat real food, you can't expect that real food is going to fall in your lap, but I guess it is slightly easier when you have got animal proteins in your diet. Um, so I, I just think it's about being aware of what is in store for your week ahead and preparing for that. And when I say prepare, just doing some shopping, mm. like just doing some shopping so you've got some food in the cupboard. That's the level of preparation that I'm talking about. Or prepare by just being aware of the foods that are going to form the the basics of your shopping trolley, um, or the basics of your plate, for example. Yeah, so you and I have a few times on the show talked about our build your plate guidelines. So you know firstly making sure you've got an abundance of non-starchy vegetables on your plate that's pretty easy to achieve on a plant-based diet then secondly think about where you're going to get your protein from so we talked about protein sources before that means that if you're consuming a plant-based diet you've got to have some tempeh easily on hand or you've got to have some chickpeas and some lentils in the cupboard or you have to have explored hemp seeds and hemp powder and you need to have them on hand and then you need to make sure you've got good quality fats that you can include in, in at meal times, And that's really easy to access on a plant-based diet. You've got nuts and seeds, you've got avocados, you've got coconut milks, coconut creams, you've got beautiful oils. So there's actually plenty to choose from on a plant-based plate. You have to be prepared and aware of what those things are so that you can easily integrate them over the course of the week.
0: And this comes back to what we typically see a vegan default into quite a higher carbohydrate plate because they're relying on more grains and we hear that quinoa is a complete protein. So, yes, it contains all the essential amino acids, but it's still a carbohydrate at the end of the day. Yeah. So then we can see that the plate is more carbs less fats and we're hungry and yes. you know, blood sugar's whack and yeah. it's pretty messy by yeah. the end
1: of the day. Yeah, I would say ahead of the gut health work, blood sugar control is mm. usually the number one thing that I have to do with somebody that's been on a plant for for a while. You know, when I was studying, they were referred to as starchetarians Yeah. So, so somebody that, um, that just eats a whole lot of starch because they've replaced animal protein on their plate for, like you said quinoa and um, rice, usually rice and chickpeas. And and hopefully it's those things. But in reality what I often see as well is people that are eating the processed Mm. carbohydrates, you know, the breads, the breakfast cereals, the muesli bars and having those Domino's pizza. Yeah. And and having those in abundance.
0: Mm. Don't get me wrong, I love quinoa and chickpeas and I myself eat rice on occasions, but what it is that we see too often is the pure dominance of these foods and not enough healthy fat so just to clarify that
1: yeah precisely and Actually, let's go back a step because we were talking about gut health before, mm. and one of the reasons why gut health is up there and some of the first things that we address when I when I first start working with somebody on a plant based diet is because if they are that starchitarian and that individual who's eating a lot of carbohydrates or a lot of processed carbohydrates, is that in itself can feed the poor gut health, which will get in the way of the nutrient availability and the absorption and the and the integrity of of their gut. So, um, firstly like reducing that reliance on carbohydrate and opening up the plate to all those other beautiful foods can be a wonderful support for gut and digestion. Um, and then obviously we also have to look at our prebiotic sources and our probiotic sources. So this is where we can use the rice and the sweet potatoes strategically as a source of prebiotics. So I'm not saying that if you're on a plant-based diet and you're eating currently an abundance of carbohydrates. I am absolutely not saying that you have to remove those carbohydrates. It's just about moderating them and finding the right space and the right time for them mm-hmm. and eating them in a prebiotic form. From my, In my perspective, is a great way of, of including them. So that you cooked and cooled white rice, you cooked and cooled sweet potato and potato. And then making sure there's probiotic foods in the diet. So before we even look at the need for, probiotic capsules or supplements to support the gut, just making sure that there's at least probiotic foods within the diet. And this is, again, one of the reasons why I love tempeh, because it is fermented, it's naturally probiotic. And then there's also things like our fermented vegetables, so our kimchi, our sauerkraut, our fermented beetroot, which I love. Then things like your kefir, uh, which all play a beautiful role in supporting the diversity of the microbiome.
0: Yeah, I love that. And you know, there's just so much that has come out of today that's not even just for those wanting to be a vegan. Like, I think it's really important that we do all have that awareness of our food and taking that really well-rounded approach, but also knowing it needs to be personalised.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think and, and I hope the message for anybody listening is that yes, we should be taking a really hands-on approach to our health and what we eat because ultimately, food is medicine. Mm-hmm. Food changes, like just the chemical reactions within our body, like at the most minor level, which have a profound impact on us and how we perform throughout our day and how we think and how we feel. When you're on a plant-based protocol, obviously you are you are emitting a whole a whole group of foods so you just need to take that extra diligence with what you're consuming and the reason I love doing what I'm doing I'm so passionate about working with vegans and vegetarians is because I want them to be able to eat those diets for a lifetime and I just want them to be able to do it well and feel well along the way so you know if you want to know more about tailoring your approach and and how we might work together then definitely jump onto our website and look at booking initially a 15-minute complimentary consultation so we can talk about it yeah
0: love it awesome and then get that personal personalized advice as to where to go next you know Mm -hmm. rather than trying to reverse engineer things i think you start with that really well-developed plan from the beginning so that's been awesome thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and I would like to put it out there that we'd um, be open to do a, doing a Q&A on this topic. Yes. Um, so as always, please do reach out and send your questions either straight through our website or you can jump onto our social media and contact us that way. All the links will be in the show notes and we'll speak to you again very soon. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love.